It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. Joining me on the show for a second time today is Doyle Slayton. He's the CEO and founder of Zumbi. Doyle, welcome to Accelerate. Andy, thanks so much for having me again. Well, yeah, I should have said welcome back again. So <laughs> for people who hadn't heard your first appearance on the show over a year ago, um, may I fill them in a little bit about yourself and Zumbi. You bet. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, my background is primarily in uh, in sales. Uh, I started on uh, on the front lines, cut my teeth in advertising. Uh, I was in sports broadcasting and started selling. Uh, had to sell my own ads in order to get my games paid for and on the air. So um, my natural tendency was cold calling and prospecting. I just back then built a list on a on a tablet and started hammering the phone and called and called and called until I found 10 advertisers who would, you know, pay a thousand bucks a year to sponsor the local high school. And off we went. And I guess I realized at that point that sales was, was for me, interestingly enough that it was for me based on cold calling experience, (laughs) which Um, which is usually when people find out it's not for them, (laughs) but it's not right. So I was the opposite but I also realized in that same vein was that when I had other teammates that had to, you know, that were maybe helping with broadcasts, et cetera, that would come in and try to sell, they did not enjoy that process. And they did not naturally um, uh, gear themselves toward picking up the phone and finding uh, prospects with just cold, cold calling. So uh, that's when I realized, well, maybe this is something that uh, that I can get uh, pretty good at and eventually help people and teach people how to do it more effectively and that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, continued my career in, in sales with a lot of outbound prospecting, moved into management and director positions. And ultimately, as time passed uh, toward more of the what I'll call modern age <laughs> of selling, what I realized was, uh, man, this thing has changed. It's a lot harder to get people to pick up the phone. They don't answer the phone anymore. Um, you know, that's number one. And if a guy like me that has a natural inclination to cold call and a desire to do it, in other words, in the morning when I was going to work, Andy, I'd literally be walking as fast as I could to get to my desk because I wanted to start the day with my first 10 to 20 calls and get those under my belt is a sense of accomplishment that I got activity going, right? I mean, that was my burning desire uh, to get in and do that. But, you know, even with a guy like that, I started realizing, man, nobody picks up the phone. And if it started to bother me, everybody has a breaking point, you know? Um, And mine was pretty, pretty long down the road. But if it started to bother me, and I knew the turnover that was happening in sales, I realized there's a problem. There's a problem out there and we've got to find a way to solve it. So that's how I started recognizing things like, we've got to help people, uh, not just with telling them, you know, go get on the phone, that doesn't help anybody or motivate anybody. We've got to help them 
build their prospecting list. We've got to help them with the types of assets that they have available to them so that they can have more meaningful uh, uh, calls and emails and follow-up attempts uh, on, on cold prospects and on prospects who are already deeper in the sales cycle. So that's how I never expected, you know, I was the type of guy, I don't need marketing, I'm just going to hammer the phone. Uh, but that's when I realized, listen, I can be uh, a hybrid uh, marketer and uh, create this type of, of concept and methodology where it's about both uh, marketing and sales and strong alignment and understanding how each one needs to think in order to help sales produce results. I mean, that's what it comes down to, sure. Andy, is marketing is there to help sales, not the other way around. And sometimes, you know, it's a pointing finger back and forth, but marketing is a marketer. I just say, hey, I've got to, I've got to humble myself and go to sales and say, listen, what are my leads saying when you call them? How do they respond when you email them? What types of things can I do to help set you up better for that call? If marketing is willing to humble themselves to do that, I think it'll help a lot of people be more successful. Yeah, so I, I was going to say, is it just me or is, is there something about the term smarketing that, that just doesn't, I know people use it a lot, the personal thing, just doesn't resonate very well with me. <laughs> Maybe I think I would think of smarketing, I hear the word smarmy behind it, which is, you know, <laughs> is, is, is the way people think about salespeople, right? <laughs> so it's like, sure. Huh, that word association. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I would I would take that word in too much context. I probably just slipped it in there. Uh, <laughs> ideally, it's more about alignment, alignment of Absolutely. thought, alignment of process and and making sure that uh, that your marketing activities uh, are aligned with what sales is doing. It's got to be about both uh, right now uh, in this in this current uh, marketplace. It's got to be about both inbound and outbound, right? And at the end of the day, when it comes to, to inbound, it's uh, what inbound does more than anything, especially in B2B, more complex sales, is not to get someone to come and write you a check because it's just not going to happen. The, the solutions and, and the deals are too big. So uh, it's all about brand lift, awareness, and uh, ability that when a salesperson prospects on a client, or is referred into a client that they're willing to talk to you because they've heard of you before and they've heard good things about you and they've read your content and like the way that you think and want to do business with you. Mm -hmm. So, so that's what the inbound piece is really, really about. And then the outbound piece is, is making sure that your salespeople are prospecting on uh, good prospects. I mean, you can't open Hoover's, and drop uh, a thousand prospects into somebody's database and just say, "Hey, go go call them." Uh, those those sales teams don't succeed. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, that's you, that's where the sort of they said the line between inbound and outbound has to happen. Is is you know, too often I see sales teams that are basically forcing their their inside reps or their outside out, proactive outbound reps to build their own lists. And in cases like that, yeah, you tend to have people taking sort of the path to least resistance, you know, to find names so they can call. And it's, you know, we're starting with with uh, garbage, as you talked about, it's the whole garbage in, garbage out thing. Yeah. 
And so that's where I think people, that, that's where a lot of uh, companies are right now, Andy, top to bottom, is I think people are just trying to figure out what works. And uh, they're so inundated with people telling them, you know, that, that cold calling is dead or that that's not, you know, that, you know, salespeople are no, no longer going to be needed or, you know, that, <laughs> that inbound doesn't work or, you know, you've got all these people telling you what works and what doesn't, but they're not really on the front lines uh, doing it. And so the, the key component has got to be a combination and they're trying to figure out what works. And, and you know, you hear the term sales stack. And they're trying to figure out how to stack things up to make things more efficient. I think the key is, is that you in that process, don't make your stack too deep because it, it's got to be simple. Well, yeah, so, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of, I don't say pushback, but I mean, a lot of visibility being given to the idea right now that are the facts that, yeah, sales stacks, perhaps, and referring to the stack of applications or technologies that you use to to help make your sales more efficient and effective, that perhaps it's it's reached a point where it's gotten out of control a bit, and that yeah. that they're in an effort to become more effective and more efficient. You know, their reps and managers are, are more on the rep side. I think starting to try everything, right? Try anything. Mm-hmm. That that will help increase the predictability of what I'm doing. Yeah, and after a while, you run out of time. Well, yeah, and also as you said, if you have alignment issues, if you've got a sales stack that's out of control, you're not not going to have necessarily alignment between sales and marketing. Is you may not have alignment between what management thinks is happening with the sort of official uh, blessed sales stack. You know, five to seven applications they might be using according to surveys. Versus the eleven to thirteen applications, the people on the sales floor in the field are using. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I put together a little list as as I was thinking through it, uh, and and you know, to me, there are several things that are must-haves, right? And, and I'm interested in getting your thoughts on this. But sure. you know, the first thing is we we talked about list building, but. You've got to be able to build a high-quality list with your ideal target accounts and have those narrowed down very nicely as to who is most likely going to be willing to do business with you from a corporate standpoint. And then within those companies, you've got to identify the ideal buyer. You know, buyer persona is the most common term used today, right? But, and there'll be multiples. You know, yeah, and you, you want to have at least two to three at the very least, if the average people involved in the mix uh, of a decision is, is somewhere between four and seven, to, depending on the size of the company, right, then I want to start with the ability to, to, to have at least two to three pro- prospective contacts in the database, especially when people don't answer the phone or respond readily. Mm-hmm. And so then once I've got, I've got my list, <clears throat> yeah, I think we've talked about this before, but I like to start sales reps with about 100 uh, accounts and get them working through a lead management process uh, that will ensure that leads don't fall through the cracks. Once right. they've got all 100 in motion, we give them another 100. And once they've got all 200 in motion, then we'll give them another 100 if they can handle that. And, you know, depending on, again, the size of the 
of the business they're working for and the complexity of deals they're working, um, that may be their limit. Some may be lower, some may be higher, et cetera. But the point is, is that list building is the first key. And in that process, you've got to save people time. I mean, you talked about, uh, you mentioned it a moment ago in passing, direct dials are gold and email addresses are a must. Right. And so in that process, also marketing automation can be working in the background, um, warming these prospective uh, 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 clients out mm-hmm. up, mm-hmm. and ensuring that when these salespeople reach out, that they've already heard of us. From there, uh, you know, having some sort of, of lead scoring methodology, even if it's simple, uh, to be able to distinguish between those prospects who are somewhat engaged uh, versus not engaged at all. Uh, and uh, the somewhat engaged, you continue, continue down the marketing automation uh, path until they become more uh, on the highly engaged and have salespeople uh, start to reach out at that point uh, for sure. Yeah, and there are, there are some good tools to that point about lead scoring. Uh, new tools coming out like um, Sales Wings is one, if you're familiar with them, where it's really sort of a sales-oriented um, predictive lead scoring application that is is very simple. And, you know, basically you get uh, and it's meant for top of funnel, so it's really meant to say, okay, here's somebody. Here's somebody. They do hot, warm, and cold. Basically, is the categories you put in, and hot meaning hot. You should call them today based on the activity. Uh, that they've they've undertaken in terms of looking at your your website and so on, um, mm-hmm. and so it's it's a great little tool to say okay you got your, your list of a hundred, but which one should I prioritize calling today? And so yeah, these this new generation of lead scoring, like I said, Sales Wings is one of them that um, yeah gives a sales rep just based on activity that's happened. With that prospect, as you said, as you said earlier, if marketing has been doing their job, they should at least be aware of who you are when you call. This will tell you how aware, how engaged they are before you call. Yeah, I'm going to check them out. I have not heard of them, but I'm on their uh, website now, saleswingsapp.com. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Yeah, most of what we do uh, is in HubSpot, so we use um, that platform, obviously, to uh, manage our all you know our CRM and our marketing automation, uh, but I always like looking at, at this tool because uh, some of our clients um, are not uh, you know are not open to taking on a full application like HubSpot. So having these little tools is helpful on the side. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, I think one of the one of the things that that strikes me. A little bit about what you're talking about, and but it's also been a topic that has been a topic of discussion with other guests, and as I've been working on projects that I'm working on, is that um, you know we we are we are man, we're getting better at understanding how our process works, yeah, our sales process. We could be able to collect data. We've got many more data points to collect and to analyze and to to look at. But the thing that still seems to be missing for me is a real understanding of why it works. And, and so we have this, this sort of bifurcation, if you will, 
around this term, sort of the science of selling. And for some people, it's all about, you know, we're going to look at our data. We're going to look at what we've done. We're going to, you know, split test the heck out of this thing. We're going to, you know, test this email versus that email, you know, this voice message or that mess, voice message, so on and so forth. And we're going to get these results to say, okay, these things work. But what seems to be missing is what I call sort of, and not just me, but uh, other people call it, you know, the the science of selling, which is the real science that, that you know, researchers in lab have, have analyzed and proven. People have won Nobel Prizes based on about, you know, the social psychology, behavioral economics about influence and why people make decisions. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, we got to bring these together. You know, they can't be one or the other, right? Because they both complement each other. But it seems like we're sort of moving down paths, at least I see, where it's, people are sort of like all one or all the other. Sure. Well, definitely. I think, you know, we, we've, we've got one client um, who we've worked with who is all about, uh, if you go to program on persuasion, uh, the science of selling around making decisions based on emotion. And mm-hmm. for the industries that they work on and work with, uh, that's the science of selling is geared toward how the brain uh, makes decisions based on emotions. So the training um, that they work on is, is very much based on that side of things. But then we have another client, ROI Selling, uh, who's all about value selling and value calculators and presenting a business case based on expected return on investment and can break down very specifically um, uh, the non-emotional side of what it's going to do for the business and uh, the break-even point and all of these things that are important to uh, selling based on value, right? Uh, so, so, yeah, I think that's another piece of the puzzle that, that people uh, are, are in some cases working on, and if they're not, they should add it to the mix. What are some things that you've seen out there that that tie into to this topic? Well, I think there's there's um, there's more I don't know, more exposure being given to this whole idea about the we'll say the emotional side, the intuitive side, the the psychological drivers that that influence how we make decisions, and that at some level are are probably almost encoded at a DNA level within us or a genetic level within us, just given the thousands of years of, of how we've evolved as, as humans. And, and I think more attention needs to be paid to that. And that's really was sort of the focus of, of certainly alluded to that in, in my two books, but I mean, there are other books, obviously a very famous book by Robert Cialdini called Influence and uh, his follow-up book, Persuasion, which is a great book people should read. Uh, there's a brand new book out by a gentleman named David Hoffeld called The Science of Selling, which is all about, you know, it's not about the data of selling. It's all about, you know, the behavioral economics that we talked about, social psychology, about how we've been built as human people, human beings, to make decisions. Mm-hmm. And so I think salespeople, what I see missing, as I said before, is salespeople have to understand, yeah, you know, our past history in terms of what works and, and doesn't work absolutely essential. We need that information, but we need that in itself is not what causes people to buy. And so what causes people to buy 
is based on this other side, right? <laughs> How they're influenced to make a decision, what things influence their decisions. We've got to bring these together. And if we can effectively find a way to bring them together, it's application-based, some I know some people are working on, or, or uh, yeah, just better, I don't know what I call training, better education of our sales reps uh, to be aware of these factors, then, yeah, then you know, the, the possibilities are limitless, I think. Yeah, you know, I was. It's interesting. We're kind of on the same wavelength because earlier I was just jotting down notes as as I, I had ideas come to my mind, and now that I look at that list of things that I wrote, it applies specifically to this. And and just generally speaking, what what I listed here is that the the thing that salespeople need to be very very good at. You know, how many people just try to go straight for the demo, right? And when they demo. Uh, they're just going through a canned pitch, and I wrote a post on this. You can find it on our blog, uh, sales demos where deals go to die, right? And, <laughs> and it's because once you've baked all your cookies and shown your demo in the cookie-cutter way that you show everybody, you, you haven't really identified any real problems or current initiatives that the company is focused on. So, right. so we've got to be really good and identifying those problems and current initiatives that people are being held accountable to uh, at work. And, and then the second thing is, and this ties to uh, the emotional piece, is you've got to get, and, and we've heard it before, but people aren't very good at it. You've got to be good at differentiating yourself because it is an emotional feeling that people get when they hear you say something and their thought is, I've heard that all before. Everybody says that. That's the worst thing that you can have uh, someone tell you is everybody says that. Yeah, well, right? I, that's one of the, the uh, beauties of, of Cialdini's new book, <clears throat> Persuasion, which talks about that really what you do is you, if you're the adept communicator, what he calls the savvy communicator, basically telegraphs what they're going to be talking about. And telegraphs the importance of what they're going to be talking about, so it becomes important to the listener before they say <laughs> it. And and yeah, I mean, differentiation is that's one of the ways you do differentiate yourself. And yeah. when people form these perceptions, and you know, you'll read other books <clears throat> by Kahneman and others about you know how various systems of thinking we have <laughs> and how our emotions play into that. You know, we as as humans are sort of programmed to want to make decisions in sort of the easiest manner possible. And so this early, well, and this early differentiation really becomes so key because if, if you know, people want to make the good enough decision, they don't want to invest, over-invest in making decisions. Um, so, you know, the ability to differentiate yourself earlier in the sales process and create these strong impressions in the mind of the, the buyer, which are really hard to shake. I mean, again, research shows first perceptions are very sticky. So if you can make positive first impressions or perceptions, then, yeah, your ability to win the business goes up fairly substantially. Now, that can mm -hmm. be integrated with the process. So that's the emotional side of selling. That can be integrated with your process if we're educating people how to do it so that when they go through their process and they have that opportunity to finally engage with a prospect – they're much more effective while conversion rates will, will go through the roof. Yeah. And at the end, what you've got to be able to do is inspire action, right? Yes. You know, 
and and that's that's the thing because what's the biggest competitor uh, we most often lose to is the status quo. Absolutely. So so we've got to be able to inspire action. So then I started thinking, you know, how do we do these things? I mean, how do we teach people to identify real problems, differentiate, and inspire action? So I put a few other bullet points, and we'll see what I missed here. You can help me help me fill it in, but. I think the first thing is at the most basic level, and this ties into the emotional piece that you mentioned, is you've got to look the part. You can't go to somebody's website and they look like it was built in, you know, in the 90s and, and they just don't look. Um, uh, if they're a technology company, they don't look innovative. Uh, so, so people have to, have to get up to speed on that. And I don't think most people like to have to worry about um, of rebuilding their website, but looking the part is a key factor. There's got to be, and this might be an outdated word, so we might need to pick another one, but there's got to be a cool factor to what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. And where people are inspired to say, man, this is really neat. I, I, I like what they're doing. This is something that I've been thinking about, and why didn't I you know, launch something like this? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about Peaking people's sense of curiosity, right? So it could be an air of mystery. It could be, uh, it could be scarcity, right? So you're creating an artificial scarcity that that uh, induces people to look further into it because they don't want to miss it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then you know the third the third thing is is efficiency. You've got to be able to show that you're going to be able to help them execute uh, both in in with financial efficiency and activity being efficient as well. And I'll give you an example. I won't mention the name of the, of the company, but I gave them this feedback, and that is that I can tell by going to somebody's website what technology uh, this company is using, uh, if it's any way associated with their websites. So I can tell if they're using Marketo or HubSpot or Pardot, or if they're you know using Google Analytics or AdRoll, or you know any of these applications within their stack to capture leads and to um, you know do their marketing. Right. And the the challenge with this platform is that I have to you know uh, jump through hoops to get from point A to point B. All I want to be able to do is once I've identified, listen, I like this account, I want to work it. Boom. Let me drop it into my CRM. I don't want to have to, you know, send it to a list that later I go to another two or three screens to get to, to then drop my whole list into a spreadsheet to then import into my CRM. That's too much work to do, and it's not efficient. I want to be able to work on the fly. So if, if I'm focused on one account, researching their site, and what, where I can potentially help them, I need to drop them into my CRM immediately, start my my calling and email sequences, and move on to the next one, right? Yeah, That's or, the difference. or right. And there's applications out there you can, if you're doing that, you can drop it into your list, which automatically updates your CRM. Mm-hmm. So efficiency is key, right? And then I think the, the next thing that people, and you mentioned this earlier, is uh, people want to know that they're not over-investing or jumping in too deep with you if they're not sure yet, because everybody's confused about what works and what doesn't, is you've got to have social proof and case studies and things that can specifically identify um, 
uh, a solution that you provided to someone else with a similar problem who uh, uh, showed specific gains and returns that you can do for this, this client as well. So I think the thing that, um, that we've been moving to with some of our clients also is developing uh, case studies and sh social proof uh, to, to help salespeople uh, be more convincing, right? And then the last thing is an easy point of entry, right? Is people want to be able to, to, to try before they buy and, you know, not get locked in. We started off saying, well, listen, there's so much work involved with the types of, of um, uh, marketing and sales initiatives mm -hmm. and strategies that we're going to build for you. We really only uh, sign one-year contracts. Well, you know, unless someone uh, knows you pretty well and has worked with you in the past, you know, you've got to be flexible enough to say, well, let's, let's, we're willing to do six months or let's run a three-month pilot or let's do a trial, right? And get, get creative enough to the point where you show them how to do what they need to do. Let's say your software application that you teach them how to get so in tune with the application that there's no way that they wouldn't want it. Mm -hmm. So those were the notes that I was thinking about earlier um, as I was considering the, the elements that would help people identify problems, differentiate, and ultimately inspire action. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> Long list there. Um, I'm a bullet point kind of guy. You're a bullet point kind of guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no no arguing with anything there. I think that, that you know, what I'd focus on, and for people listening, is this inspiring people to take the journey with you, right? Is that we really have to stop we, you know, there's still some number of sales professionals among us who, who still treat sales as being somewhat adversarial in, in terms of what you're doing. And, you know, maybe there's some businesses that might work. I'm not aware of what they are. You're always going to have more success if the customer feels that you are, are with them, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's ultimately what we're trying to do is, is have the customer think that, that we are this trusted advisor, that we're not just, um, you know, we're just not an advisor, but we're actually, you know, we're part of their, almost part of their decision-making process. And if you can, if you can, if you can transcend that, right, if you can deliver the value to them early in the process so that you start building that relationship and that rapport and that trust, then they're inspired to take that journey with you. And that becomes the ultimate challenge, I think, for for salespeople. And again, this is, gets back to sort of the emotional side of buying, is that that uh, the intellectual side, if you will, is that that you know, studies are fairly conclusive. Is that that um, you know people are much more likely to do business with people, not just that they think are like them, but they actually think. And then Cialdini talks about this in Persuasion, is that are of them, right? So it's like buying, being part of the family versus being an outsider that they like. Uh, is you know, how do you make yourself part of that family in the mind of the buyer? Mm -hmm. Well, one of those examples is oftentimes, and I don't necessarily do this. I mean, I do it consciously, but I really feel it, right? And that is that when we're working with our clients and I'm on calls with them, I talk in terms of we, 
when I'm talking about their company. Mm-hmm. It, you know, and and I because I really do feel bought into that. That's one of the things we look for also is, you know, what are some companies that would be really passionate about what they're doing and what they're trying to accomplish and and would want to help these companies grow. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so that makes it a lot easier to be in it with them than to just say, hey, let's just take these actions to, you know, create marketing campaigns and and, you know, sales best practices. And then you do with them. It's up to you to execute it. Listen, I want to be involved in what you're doing because I, I'm passionate about it. So exactly. I mean, that that's really that really resonates as you as you describe it. Yeah, absolutely. So Doyle, we're moving into the last segment of the show where I've got some questions I ask all my guests. And since you've been on the guests uh, or been a guest on the show before, I've got different questions for you. Um, These always make me nervous, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's, that's part of my fun of doing this. So uh, these are all just sort of rapid fire questions. Um, first one is, in your mind, is it easier to teach a technical non-salesperson how to sell or teach a salesperson how to sell a technical product? Oh, wow. That's a tough one. I would say uh, if I had to pick one, I think it's easier to teach a salesperson how to teach a te- uh, how to sell a technical product. Okay. Next question. Uh, what's one non-business book? No business, no sales that you think every salesperson should read? Well, it's interesting because uh, that's something I'm about to, to read soon. Uh, Mind Gym. Mind Gym. Yes, G- Mind Gym. G-Y-M. Oh, Mind it's Gym. It's about okay. building your mental strength. Okay. Mind Gym. All right. And who wrote that? Do you know? <sighs> I don't remember the name. Right. Well, we'll I it. think there's a couple of them, but... Um, this one has kind of someone in a in a running position. All right, I got the starting blocks. We'll find it. We'll put it on the website so people can see that. All right, Mind Gym. All right, so last question for you: Do you have a favorite quotation or words of wisdom that you live by? Oh, I do. And my favorite uh, of all time is, and my mind's going blank. But let me think through it real quick. You would have known it if I hadn't asked. It. Well, I know it. I know it, but the first word is is. Uh, well, you compare. Is, you compare. It's going past it, but it's it's um, courage. I've got it. Courage is not defined by those who fought and did not fall, but by those who fought, fell, and rose again. Ah, and why is that? Uh, what's that say to you? Well, I think it's twofold. I think one, it has uh, uh, biblical connotations. I'm a strong Christian myself. And the the second thing is I think that it's one of those things that salespeople uh, and people in general out in the marketplace right now that they're not going to be successful 100% of the time. And so you've got to be able – part of I, – I, I started coaching a select softball team of nine-year, nine- and ten-year-old uh, girls, one of my daughter's plays, select softball. And one of the things that we're teaching them about is failure recovery. How quickly can you recover from a failed at bat, from a botched throw? Uh, so failure recovery is what that's about. Okay. All right. Excellent. Well, Doyle, a pleasure to speak with you as always. So tell people how they can find out more about you and, and Zumbi. 
I appreciate it. Yeah, come over to uh, Zumbi.com, X-O-O-M-B-I.com. And the biggest thing that we look for is uh, ideally working with uh, cutting-edge technology uh, in the sales enablement space or uh, training and development space to do marketing campaigns and sales enablement uh, implementations to help you grow your business. Okay. Excellent. Well, good. Well, again, thank you, Doyle. And friends, thank you for spending this time with us. Remember, make it part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And easy way to do that is to join my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Doyle Slayton, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. And if you're enjoying Accelerate and the value we're delivering, then please take a quick minute right now to leave your feedback about this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. It'd be very much appreciated. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com. 